We're going to be talking today about the abortion and pro-life issue. It's kind of a, a detour from the typical ministry leadership training class that we're doing. And the reason we're doing it is we're two weeks away from a historic election. Two weeks from now, Colorado voters will be able to decide once and for all when life begins. This has never been nailed down in any law. And even though we have thousands of laws written about thousands of things, all relating to persons, well, there's no definition anywhere about what a person is, right? And so this is pretty landmark, and I brought a friend of mine, Dan, to talk about this tonight, uh, just briefly, and then I'm going to get into some more notes. But before we get started, guys, what do we need? where do we need to be? We need to be off the throne. We need to be off the throne. Right? What happens when Fort Lewis gets more of Jack? Fort Lewis gets worse, yes. Jack is not the solution to Fort Lewis's problems. So Jack needs to be down here, and Christ needs to be on the throne. And then what happens to Fort Lewis, Jack? Fort Lewis gets better. Yeah, Jesus lives his life through you, and Fort Lewis turns into a big heart. Okay? So uh, we want to start today by consciously taking some time to make sure Christ is on the throne. We're not going to just assume that for any of us. And even Dan, he's this big leader in the pro-life movement. Even Dan needs to consciously adjust to make sure Christ is on the throne. So we're going to ask him to fill us with the Spirit, to control us, to direct us, to guide us, even as we uh, learn a little bit today. So I want to start by doing that. Brandon, will you just open us in prayer? Yes. Cool. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for just bringing us here. God, I ask that uh, you would just be on the throne of our lives, God, and that it wouldn't be us. God, I just pray that you would just reign in our lives, God. And just that you just change us little by little. And yeah, God, we can't do it on our own. I thank you that you're here to help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, with that, give Dan a hand. And I guess... <laughs> Sorry, good. Yeah. Yeah, that was... I, I, I interrupted right in the middle. We're going to give you another hand. Okay. I should just explain where Dan is coming from. Dan is the leader in our county for the Amendment 62 campaign. He's going to give you some literature. And he's going to tell us a little bit about what that means. On a personal level, we're both kind of at similar places in lives. In our lives, we, we both have wives and we're having children. And uh, so Dan is an encouragement to me. When I see his passion for, for serving God, it encourages me to serve God too. So I hope you guys enjoy hearing a few words from Dan. So now give a real hand, guys. Right. I don't know how much time I have, but I'm just going to roll with it until Nate gets up and pushes me down and he takes over. So uh, I just want to give you a quick testimony about, about how I got involved in pro-life ministry before we get into this issue. And what happened was is that on Friday nights I used to lead worship at a church and we were praying for the sidewalk counselors that would be present in front of abortion clinics. Sidewalk counselors are someone that offers women options. They say, I can help you, can we help you, is there anything we can do? They're out there praying, they're out there offering help. We were praying for these folks on Saturdays, and uh, I used to lead worship on Friday nights and prayer for them. And then I actually got invited to come out, and I was scared to death. I'm, I, I, uh, yeah, <laughs> just thinking about how I felt. I'm like, no, I'm not going in front of an abortion clinic. I'm not going to be one of those wackos. I'm not going to, no way, I'm not going to do that. And next thing you know, I'm out there in front of an abortion clinic. God does amazing things if you open your heart to him. And I didn't know what to do. I had no clue what to do. And I just, I brought my guitar with me and I started doing praise songs. And about maybe half hour had gone by and, uh, you have to forgive me, uh, a girl walks out of the clinic and she comes up to me and she has tears in her eyes. And she says, 
I can't do it. I was playing a song that she recognized in church growing up as a little girl. And I saved a life that day. And I'm sorry. Um, and ever since then, I've been hooked. You save one life, and you know you had an instrumental part in that. God used you for something so special. And it's an addicting feeling. And I've been a pro-life minister now for nine years. So I just want to share that with you as to how I got involved in this. Well, um, with Amendment 62, why is it so important? Because it will eliminate abortion in our state. It will also eliminate anything that has the potential of killing human life, and even newly conceived human life. It defines, finally, where life begins. Uh, justice Harry Blackman, who was a Supreme Court justice in 1973 during the Roe v. Wade case, he said that if the personhood of the unborn child could be established, this case would have no grounds. And he was saying this to Sarah Weddington. Sarah Weddington is the lawyer uh, who was fighting for the right for Norma McCorby Roe to have an abortion. And Sarah Weddington, in laughter, said, you're right, I would have a very difficult case. Well, the Supreme Court basically washed their hands of it. They, did, they pulled a Pontius Pilate on this one. They said that they had no way of telling when life began, even though they could have gone to their local library to get an embryology textbook, and they could have solved that issue right away. That's our wonderful government. So here we are, um, you know, from 1973 to 2010, there's been over 50 million deaths. Our generation has been hunted down. One out of three pregnancies since 1973 has ended in abortion. And the vast majority of those have been Hispanic and African-American babies. They are targeted by the abortion industry. In California, you'll see this more predominantly. Abortion clinics are placed primarily in poor neighborhoods. I was out praying in front of a clinic in Long Beach, and I saw some friends, and they're like, hey, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm praying at this clinic. Oh, we're, we're praying at the clinic a block down. Two abortion clinics within one block in a poor neighborhood in Long Beach. Well, anyway, that's in California or in Colorado. And I want to talk to you today about Amendment 62. Amendment 62 will define life as from the moment of your biological development. Now, we could say conception, right? That's a lot easier. But when you say conception, you're excluding a whole group of humans because this, a, mir a miracle, if you want to call it that, unfortunately I don't really think it's that miraculous, you're able to create life anywhere now. It gives a whole new definition to the term designer genes. You can go anywhere to get male sperm. You can go anywhere to get donated eggs. You don't even have to get pregnant to have a baby nowadays. So life is being desecrated on all fronts. Mm -hmm. And this amendment is all-inclusive. From the moment of every human being's biological development, they will enjoy the same constitutional rights that all of you and I do, outside of the womb. And it's groundbreaking. Now, Nate's going to talk specifically, I'm imagining tonight, about how you as Christians can share the message of life. Well, I, although I am a Christian, I try to stay as far away as I can from that and when I'm debating someone. Because immediately, and I'm, I know Nate may disagree with me, but immediately people can write you off. Oh, you're just a Christian, you're just a wacko, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, the thing you do what I do, pray in front of abortion clinics. No, this is a human issue. Where do your rights come from? Where does your inherent value come from? The writers of the Constitution said, from the Creator. Well, God, we all know that. All of our value 
as human beings comes from being made in the image and likeness of God. And our Constitution de declares that you have those the rights as a human being to the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Well, right now in our culture, there's a whole group of beings that are being excluded from that, from those joys that we all partake in. But the reason why it's not a Christian issue, I want to bring this up to you, it's genocide. The systematic destruction of a group deemed unwanted by society. That is the definition of genocide. There's no way around it. The systematic destruction of a group deemed unwanted by society, by a society, excuse me. And that's abortion. 50 million dead children since 1973. That's systematic. It's incredibly systematic. So that's why it's not just a Christian issue. So, is there anything else you want me to expand on? Yeah. <laughs> what, can, what can we do? Amendment 62 is coming in two weeks. Well, what, what, you, what you can do is, is try to engage in conversation with people. If you're, if you're able to, and I know that Nate's very good at doing that. He's able to, yeah, I admire him for that. They're able to share the gospel with people he hardly even knows. And uh, I, I, I'm trying to learn that gift right now as we speak. Uh, as we speak. And, um, if you can engage in conversation with people, really question them. Like, when, so when do you think life begins? And that will bring you up into a whole new ballpark or level of conversation. Or if people have heard of 62, they may tell you, oh, I'm voting no on that. Well, why? The, the slogan that, that they're using on the No 62 campaign is, it goes too far. Well, what goes too far? Press the issue. Like, what goes too far? And this is what you may encounter. They're going to say, well, what about rape and incest? They always bring these two horrific examples up of when it's okay to justify the killing of an innocent human being. Now, what I like to do occasionally, and you'll have to forgive me on this one, but I do, um, when someone says that, uh, I'll lie to them, I'll say, I was a result of a rape, and they immediately go, because immediately, right then and there, they realize, I just justified my right to kill someone like you and they feel horrible for it. Eventually I will tell them the truth and say, no, I wasn't, but you'll see the conversation, you'll see the conversation take a quick U-turn because it could have kept going down this direction, like, well, I believe it's okay, la, 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 you know, what if that happened, la, la, la. You end it right then and there. And um, something I brought up to Nate, something I bring up to, to all pastors or Christians, believers, is that nowhere in scripture does God ever give us the right to take innocent life? When does he ever justify or bless his people for tolerating the shedding of innocent blood? Never. Never. He loves each and every single one of us so passionately that he doesn't care where you came from or how you came into existence. He loves you, and he wants you to grow up and love him as well. We're denying those children of that opportunity. Um, and okay, I'm gonna keep going if you don't stop me. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So, so with Amendment 62, we're we're trying to do that. We're trying to protect a class of human beings in our state, in our society, that are destroyed. And that's all there is to it. It's 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 uh, it's groundbreaking because it cuts through all the rhetoric. You know, prior prior to Amendment 62, all abortion laws ended with this famous phrase, and then you can kill the baby. <laughs> Get an ultrasound, and then you can kill the baby. Wait 24 hours, and then you can kill the baby. 
get your parents' permission, and then you can kill the baby. These were all laws that when they passed, pro-life legislators and, and unfortunately many pro-life organizations, they were like, yeah, woo! What's so great about that? We are constantly entrenching ourselves into this culture where abortion has to exist. And prior to 1973, believe it or not, the world got along just fine. It hasn't really benefited anyone. Because prior to 1973 and 1965, birth control pill was supposed to solve all this. In 1965, when the birth control pill came out, we weren't supposed to have abortion anymore. It was supposed to solve all of our problems. We, there would be no need for abortion if we could somehow limit women getting pregnant. It was supposed to solve all the world's problems. It didn't. If you begin to target out and neglect group, a group of human beings, if you devalue them in any way, it just snowballs. And in 1936 is when the Jew officially became not a legal person by the, by the German Supreme Court. Do I really need to tell you what happened after that? It's a slow decay. And the reason why Amendment 62 is so radical is because it's all inclusive on the human family. We're saying that I don't care if this human being was a result of a rape or incest, or if it was created in a petri dish in a laboratory, or, or if it was just two teenagers that made a mistake. Amendment 62 would protect all human life. And it's radical because it's like God's love. It's all inclusive. He doesn't care. He loves each and every one of us passionately. Cross is right behind me. I'm going to make that correlation for you. Um, and that's what Amendment 62 would do. Protect each and every one of us the way God wants us to be protected. So, sorry, I can keep going on and on. Well, okay, well, let me, let me go ahead and do one more thing. I, I love talking about this. Well, well, when I, so I just gave you the example of 1965, how the birth control pill was supposed to solve all of our, all of our problems, right? Well, in 1965, it became legal under the Supreme Court case called Gonzales, no, excuse me, not Gonzales versus Carhartt, it's uh, Connecticut versus Griswold. And the way that they legalized it is they said that somewhere hidden in the penumbras, the shadows of the Constitution, that we all have the right to privacy. And because we all have the right to privacy, no one should be able to tell you what to do in your personal life, which is a total crock. How many people here have to wear a seatbelt? <laughs> Isn't the government telling you what to do with your body all the time? You know, why aren't there people out there holding gigantic rallies in D.C. over that? So anyway, that's just one example <laughs> of how you're, you're immediately obedient to a government. So, um, But anyway, so this right to privacy was used once again in 1973 in the Roe v. Wade case. Norma McCorvey was a poor woman, she was homeless at the time, and she had already had two children out of wedlock, or three, maybe three children out of wedlock, and she, she gave those kids up for, for adoption, which is what used to happen before abortion existed. And she became pregnant again, and um, she met a lawyer by the name of Sarah Weddington, and Sarah Weddington in the pro-choice community is considered like a, you know, she's a hero, she's a saint, she's a, you know, she's incredible. But Sarah Weddington had been plotting for many years. She'd been trying to get abortion legalized for many years. In Colorado in 1967, they were the first state to allow abortion to become legal in cases of rape and incest. 1970, I believe, New York was the second state, and they allowed it under any circumstances. So 
we already had two states, but the vast, you know, stroke, you know, that ended everything was Roe versus Wade. Well, Sarah Weddington met Norma McCorby, and she says, I have, this, I have this test case I want you to be a part of. And she says, okay, what is it? And she said, she basically said that, well, I just need, I just need to use your name. So they used her. Without her knowing, she became the instrument and the result of legalized abortion. To create um, sympathy within the courts, she lied. Sarah Weddington told the jury a lie, or excuse me, the Supreme Court justices a lie, saying that Norma McCorry was brutally raped in a park, and that's why she's pregnant. That wasn't the case at all. She lied to the Supreme Court of the United States, and they passed this law. And even years later, now Norma McCorby is a pro-life advocate. She's very outspoken. She's a Christian. She's a very outspoken Christian. She's, by all standards, a wonderful woman. And she, to this very day, you'll see her in interviews, and she breaks down in tears. She says, I had no idea what they were doing. I had no idea. There you go. This was all created on a lie. Sweet. Thanks, Dan. See you, guys. Yeah, just as we wanted to take some time today and hit this special issue, kind of, I wanted to have Dan come, because he, he's devoting his life to protecting babies. You know. Actually, I heard a neat thing. Cal Zasto was here a couple weeks ago and we were praying with him, and he made a, a statement that rocked my world, and I've since heard you say this, Dan. He said, you praying outside that clinic is the only demonstration of love that baby will ever see in its life. Can you believe that? I'd never thought of it that way. I, even as a Christian, I kind of thought, those people are a little lunatic out there. You know, they're a little crazy getting out in front of these clinics and just praying, and actually being peaceful and showing respect, but at the same time also showing the only act of love that this baby will ever see. So thank you, Dan, for showing that, that act of love. So I'm going to go fast today, and I wanted to equip you guys with some information. And so we're going to go through a lot of stats. It'll be fast. It'll all be online, including the notes and this video, so you guys can get access to all this. But anyway, guys, if you want to see what the Bible has to say about the value of human life from the moment of conception, go to Psalm 139. That's probably the best example in Scripture where we're really told. We're not going to go read it right now. We're going to kind of hit fast. Uh, but, but yeah, write that down, Psalm 139. Write it down. And it talks about God's perspective on the unborn baby. This is not just tissue. We'll talk about that in a minute. It's not just a blob. This is a human being being knit together in the mother's womb. That's from Scripture. That being said, I do agree with you, Dan. Uh, just because uh, we know that from Scripture doesn't mean that your friend that is a Planned Parenthood advocate would go, oh, Psalm 139 says that we should protect unborn life? Well, of course we should then. See, they're not on the same page. And I think we should always speak the language that people can hear. I think God does that with us, right? So if somebody does not believe the Bible, I probably am going to have a hard time convincing them that abortion is wrong by using the Bible. So in a debate with the opposite side, like we're having this Wednesday, I hope you'll all be there, Noble 125, 7 p.m. In this debate, we're going to go to science. We're going to go to statistics. We're going to go right to the sources, right to the information. And we're going to go at this debate from that perspective. So all people should have a commitment to being moral and to protecting those that cannot protect themselves. This isn't just a Christian issue. This is a human issue. I think Dan mentioned that too. Are you against murder only because of your faith? I mean, if you had never read the Bible, wouldn't you still think murder is wrong? Hasn't God written his law in our hearts? Don't we as people realize that certain things are right and certain things are wrong? 
regardless of their society, this is the same type of issue. Uh, because of the evidence, we see this as important, and we see this as worth defending, and we see this as a life and death issue, right? The opposition should not just write us off. I've done these debates numerous times. I debated this as a student. I've debated this after graduating from college. I've debated this uh, in newspaper back and forth type articles and, and uh, letters to the editor and things like that. And I can tell you every single time as a Christian I get shot down saying, you know, take your hands off my body. I've heard that a lot. Uh, I, I, and a lot of ad hominem attack. You evil Christians, oh, so bad. And what I always want to say is this is an issue of life and death. If we're right, and the evidence says we are, real people are dying. Show me the decency to, to respect my position enough to argue this in a respectful manner instead of just calling names and saying we can't argue about this, right? This is not an issue of being judgmental. I'll talk about in a minute, as Christians, the women are just as much victims as the babies. And we, as Christians, need to reach out to them with God's love. The rest of society is neglecting them. We'll get there in a minute. So there are so many different reasons that we come to this issue uh, with a lot of importance, and that I want you guys to be equipped as believers to reach out with hope. I have numerous friends that have had abortions in the past, right, that have turned to Christ and found real hope and real forgiveness, and real peace. And I would hope that every woman of those 50-plus million women that have had abortions would find that same hope, and that you guys uh, could take a stand for something that's close to God's heart and show hope to people that need it. So when does life begin? Uh, there's a lot of discussion, even now, about when life begins. Peter Singer believes that we should be able to kill our baby until a year or two after they're born. Okay, um, because until that time, you should still have the, uh, they're not self-sufficient, they can't live on their own, and you should be able to kill them if they act up too much and you don't like them, right? Now, we think that's crazy, guys, but 35 years ago, they thought that about abortion, right? This is a slow process that gets us into a lot of trouble, and we had better be on our guard because your generation is going to make decisions that change history, okay? You guys are the next generation of leaders. And you're going to make decisions that change history. So I hope you'd be strong on these issues. So what defines life? What are the characteristics of life? Go to biology, and there are ten main characteristics that define life. If you see these things, you're going to know there is something living there. Uh, one is that all life is made up of cells. If you don't see cells, there is not life. right? So life is made up of cells. All life develops according to DNA or RNA, according to genetic material. right? All life interacts with its environment. It's not static. It doesn't just stay in one place. It actually interacts with its environment. All life responds to stimuli. All life metabolizes energy. All life needs water. It has to have water to continue living. All life maintains internal equilibrium. An example of that would be your body temperature, right? All life maintains this internal equilibrium uh, regardless of its external environment, right? All life maintains, uh, I mean, all life grows and all life eventually reproduces. Those are ten characteristics of life. Every single one of those characteristics begins at conception and at no other time after that. Birth is not when life begins. At birth, you change the environment alone. None of those things that I just mentioned were not happening before birth and then begin happening after birth. So by any definition of science, life begins the second those things begin, which is at conception. Right? As soon as that sperm and that egg unite, you get life. You get all these characteristics. So the unborn baby, the fetus, quote unquote, is alive, right? Nobody would even argue whether or not it's alive. They would say, well, is it a person? Or somebody might say it's just a blob of tissue. Have you heard that? Just a blob of tissue. Okay, let's hit that. Or they might say it's the mother's body, right? 
Um, okay, is it a blob of tissue? A tissue is defined, I'm not even going to get into the dictionary definitions here because we're trying to go kind of fast, but a tissue is, actually I will, I'll just go right at it. A tissue is quote unquote an aggregate of similar cells and cell products forming a definite kind of structural material with a specific function in a multicellular organism. That definite kind of structural material is what biology would call an organ. The definition of an organ, according to the dictionary, is a grouping of tissues into a distinct structure. So tissues together are specialized, and together they make up a specialized organ, right? Like a heart, or a liver, or a lung. Those are all different. They're all made up of tissues, which are made up of cells, okay? Now, organs continue, uh, and it says that they perform a specialized task. Organs, what do they make up when they are all together? They make up an organism. So an organism would be uh, an aggregate of organs working together with one purpose as an organism. The dictionary definition is a form of life composed of mutually interdependent parts, organs, that maintain various vital processes. Okay, the fetus or the unborn baby is an organism with organs in place that are made up of tissues that are made up of cells. It is not, by the definitions of science or biology, a blob of tissue. Okay, So anybody that tells you that is telling you a lie that they know is not true. This is a living organism. Okay, what kind of living organism is it? Well, what kind of DNA does it have? It has human DNA, right? This is not a living monkey. This is not a living fish. This is a living human organism with distinct human DNA, right? Is it the, mo the mother's body? Here's another big lie that you'll always be told. This is my body. This is my body. This is my body. It's not the mother's body, okay? The, the unborn baby has its own unique DNA separate from the mother's. If you found both these DNAs at a crime scene, you would conclude there were two people responsible for that crime or involved in that crime on some end. This is not the mother's body. Every single cell in your body has your DNA. When a baby is developing in the mother's womb, that baby has its own unique DNA, its own unique blood type, all separate from the mother. Totally their own. They are not the mother's body. They are not a blob of tissue. They are a living human being, a living person from the moment of conception. That is the only definition that we can get from science. And there's no other life-determining moment after conception at which life begins. There's no moment. Birth is not one, although they would try to tell you that birth is one. Some might say sentience is one. Well, when, when the baby can start thinking, that's when it's alive. Okay? Well, my baby thinks a lot more now than when she was born. She can say words, she can have memories, but she's still not as smart as uh, Jake over here, right? <laughs> okay? So at what point do we say, well, now you're a human and now you're not? We can't just arbitrarily say this level of intelligence means that you're a human. The only characteristics that I can point to that are so that objectively define the beginning of life is conception. That is it from a scientific and biological standpoint. And in this case, I know it's a human life, right? Because it has human DNA and it's developing into a human being. And left to nature and natural processes, it will develop into a human being that is in full adult form with full knowledge, cap capable of having friendship, just like each one of us. What's that, Josh? I know it's kind of a little off topic. It kind of goes with what you're saying, though. I want to hear what you have to say um, on, like, I don't know, different processes of, you know, the prevention of, of conception. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether it's a condom or yeah. whether it's it's following a specific cycle or... We'll get there in this time, for sure. Okay. Yeah, I'll definitely get there. And I'll, I'm just going to keep going fast, so bear with me, but we will hit that briefly. All right? Okay. What about dependence? I have to hit that, too. A lot of times they say, well... This baby is dependent on the mother for its life, or this fetus is dependent, so it's not a person. 
my two-year-old is just as dependent on her mother and father as a two-week-after-conception-year-old, right? Uh, in different ways, but equally dependent. If we left her in a forest alone, without food and water, she would die, right? Uh, she depends on us for sustenance, for food, for care, for love, for nurturing, for teaching, okay? So the dependence issue, too, is super important. The, the baby from the, the unborn baby from the moment of conception is dependent on her mother, just as a one-day-old, a one-month-old, or a one-year-old would be also. All right. So what is present when most abortions occur? A lot of times we hear, oh, this is just a blob of tissue. So what's present when most abortions occur? At 18 days after conception, before women even know they are pregnant, the heart is already beating. Have you guys ever watched an ultrasound with the heart beating? I've seen this with both my daughters. Boom, 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 180 beats a minute. Really fast, right? Just cruising. Right? This heart, you can see it. When you see the ultrasound, you can hear it and you can see the heartbeat before most abortions even occur, right? At 21 days, the circulatory system begins functioning where they have their own blood, their own blood type, and their, their veins and their arteries are working in conjunction with each other and the other organs to supply nutrients and blood to all the different parts. At 28 days, the ear, eye, and respiratory systems are all functioning. At 42 days, guys, before most abortions ever even occur, this unborn baby already has brain waves. Is that not phenomenal? It already has brain waves. It's already thinking in some capacity. I don't know what it's thinking, right? But there are already brain waves occurring, and there's already some kind of response to different stimuli in the environment. There's thinking at a level uh, that maybe isn't the same where you and I are, but again, my daughter's also far below where you and I are. Right? So there are already brain waves and sentience of a sort, and it can already sense and feel pain, guys, at that time. Right? Uh, the skeleton and reflexes are also present at uh, 42 days. At eight weeks, every single body system is functioning and present in some capacity. Might not be fully there and fully functioning, but it's there and functioning in some capacity. They can already suck their thumb. They can already move. I, at six weeks, guys, I saw an ultrasound of my daughter like, dancing like little gingerbread dance. Okay, <laughs> this is before most abortions occur. In fact, guys, 60% of abortions occur at that time later. Close to 60%, right? When all these characteristics are already present in a human being, right? Get this 15% of unborn babies are viable outside the womb at 23 weeks after conception. 56% of unborn babies are viable outside the womb a week later at 24 weeks after conception. Get this 79% of unborn babies are viable outside the womb a week after that at 25 weeks. Now get this, even when 80% of unborn babies would be viable outside of womb, we still have close to 40% of abortions happening after that time. Does that not just rock your world? 40% of abortions happening to babies that 80% of them would live just fine outside the mother's body. This is not right at all, right? Those include partial birth abortions. Have you guys heard what happens in a partial birth abortion? Not to be graphic with you, over 2,000 of these happen every year. Pat Tiller was a doctor that was murdered last year, an abortion doctor. And just as a side note, we as Christians are against murder, we're against violence. So anybody that claims to be a Christian that's carrying out murder, I think, <laughs> so you're trying to say murder is wrong, and you're proving that point by murder. <laughs> you're, you're defeating your own argument, you're being an idiot, okay? So I would, we are not called to be violent, we are called to peacefully 
point to Jesus and point to logic and point to the truth. So the man that killed that abortion doctor was, was wrong, and we should never condone that or patronize that. With that being said, this man had performed 60,000 abortions, including an abortion on a friend of mine. All right? Now, many of those, he was renowned for his late-term abortions. Okay? And in his, this is what would happen in, an, in a late-term abortion. And this still happens, by the way, even though our Congress tried to stop it, and our president signed it into law, it still happens, because there, it can happen in cases where the mother's health is in jeopardy, which is anytime. You know, a doctor writes saying, yep, you'd be depressed if you had this baby, so you can do it, right? So anybody can get out of that. It doesn't really stop anything. But a baby is partially given birth, right? The mother is labor's induced, and the baby is born legs, feet first, right? Imagine this. The legs and feet are flinging outside the mother's body while they keep the head inside the mother's body to say that this baby is technically not yet born. And as the legs and arms are kicking around, the back of the head is broken through and the brain is sucked out and the baby is killed. And then the rest of the delivery occurs. That's partial birth abortion. And it happens here in our country. And that is grotesque, evil, and wrong. And if that is wrong, how is it wrong? How is it not wrong any time before that? Does that make sense? And just to give you a graphic description, <coughs> Tiller, in his own words, described his process of late-term abortion, saying at times you can't get the legs and feet out first. That's hard through a birth canal. So sometimes you'll have to reach up there and get legs and feet as the baby is writhing and trying to get away, rip them off the body inside the mother, pull those out, and then deliver this bleeding-to-death corpse before you suck out its brain. Okay? This should not happen in a civilized country, guys, and it does. Right? This is what we're fighting for. This is not just some passive little issue like, oh, gosh, you Christians... You're so fired up about something that's not important. This is important if anything ever was important. All right, guys? The only life-defining moment is conception. Remember that. All those other characteristics happen before and after birth, right? Life begins at conception. So what's been the effect of abortion on society? In 1973, Roe v. Wade gave women the right to have an abortion based on penumbrial rights. The Constitution has no such thing. These shadowy rights do not exist. They were based on uh, Norma McCorvey, who you mentioned. And it's important to know that she is a pro-life advocate, a Christian, too. That is phenomenal, guys. The woman that abortion was legalized based on her story is fighting abortion today as a Christian. Just as a side note, too, uh, the homosexuality uh, issue came up at one of our discussions recently. She used to be a lesbian, and she walked away from that. Right? Jesus has changed her from the inside out. Jesus has changed her from the inside out like he can with any one of us. And she is now fighting for the rights of unborn babies. Okay, the value of life. Abortions have killed 50 to 75 million people in the U.S. alone. Over a million babies are killed every single year in this country. 16,000 are killed every single year in Colorado. When you vote yes on 62 and tell your friends to also, we can stop that. 16,000 people next year will live that never would have been able to allow would never have been allowed to live otherwise. We can do something great, guys. Uh, 53 countries have followed the United States in allowing abortions to be legal in their countries. Of those 53, they represent 60% of Earth's population. Okay? Now get this. Every single year, 42 million babies are murdered in our world. That's 115,000 a day. Okay, 115,000 a day. I think that's close to two per second. Babies are snuffed out of existence in the name of choice, in the name of 
who knows what. It's unbelievable, right? The value of life has been destroyed because of this issue in our society. In the last 400 years, 44 million people have died in every war combined on this planet. We have nearly that number of people dying every year as a result of abortion, right? If you hate war, how can you not hate this? All right, on a side note, Planned Parenthood was begun by Margaret Sanger, right? Most of you heard of her. And you know what her own purpose was in beginning Planned Parenthood who carries out most of these abortions? Listen to this. She did it as a eugenics focus and purpose to eliminate minorities. Can you believe that? Planned Parenthood was begun to eliminate the black race, the African-American race. I want to share Margaret Sanger's quote with you guys, okay? This is what she said. This is the founder of Planned Parenthood. So when, when they try to say that they're all peaceful and everything like that, read this quote to them and say, do you, do you think that's wrong? Was she wrong on all this? She said, birth control must lead ultimately to a cleaner race. Our failure to segregate morons who are increasing and multiplying demonstrates our foolhardy and extravagant sentimentalism. The undeniably feeble-minded should indeed not only be discouraged, but prevented from propagating their kind. Eugenic sterilization is an urgent need. We must prevent multiplication of this bad stock. Eugenics is the most adequate and thorough avenue to the solution of racial, political, and social problems. We don't want the word to get out that we want to exterminate the Negro. That was the exact quote from Margaret Singer. Well, you guys this? want, you can stop by. And I have a picture of her speaking at a KKK rally right here. Okay. This when, is the founder. When, when was this? What year? Years ago, okay? So, yeah, I'm not sure the year on that. But, okay, going on. That degradation of the value of human life has led to things like embryonic stem cell research, which has never, ever, ever had one positive result. It's, it was not even tried till a week ago, guys. Still, billions of dollars have been spent on it. All the while, your own stem cells are medically proven to have equal benefit and greater. Yet funding is hard to get for that versus embryonic stem cells. They try to create this picture that embryonic stem cells are the only stem cells that work or are available or readily available, but that's a complete lie. As Nate has said, that all research with just stem cells in general, which I believe can be found pretty in much the human body anywhere, um, those can be cultivated without the desecration of any human being. Even it's very easy to do that as well. Even if an embryonic stem cell would make you live for 500 years, guys, would you put a gun to somebody's head and blast them just so you could live 500 years? Even if they had medically positive results, it doesn't justify the killing of a human being, all right? Think about things like assisted suicide. And think about where all this always leads. Think about what the Nazis accomplished as they degraded human life to certain levels. It started in this country, it's been carried out. You guys, the abortion issue, eclipses what the Nazis, what the communists, what slavery, what all these issues did combined. Okay, this is a big issue, this is not small. And I, just on a side note, I wanna encourage you guys, would you have done something about the Nazis? When, if you'd been living in Germany, would you have taken a stand for people? I sure hope I would have. Don't you hope you would have? I think we all hope. But <laughs> this is our moment, guys. This is our moment where we can take this stand in love, and not being jerks about it, but where we can take this stand for people whose lives are being snuffed out. Think about the degradation of morality in our society uh, as a result of this. Think about the minority populations, African Americans, Hispanics, who have been decimated in our country and who have minimal um, 
representation in our Congress as a result. Think of, the, of how those populations, had they not been decimated by abortion, would have representation in Congress right now, right? Just think about that. Think about how they'd have a larger voice in our country. What about the economy? Think about things like Social Security being completely depleted because there are not enough current workers supporting the older workers or the retirees. That would not be an issue had abortion not occurred. Think about the fact that you'd have 33% more classmates, more roommates, more friends. In this room, there are one, two, three. There are 10 of us right now. Well, there would have been close to 14 if abortion hadn't been legalized in 1973. So you can think of four of our friends that would have been here having been murdered as a result of this. Okay, this is a hardcore issue, right? Okay, going on, guys. Uh, what about the rights of women? What about the health of women? Okay, I want to talk to you about the health of women from an emotional standpoint first. What about the emotional health of women that have had abortions? The death rate in the first year after an abortion for women that have had an abortion is four times greater than for other women that have not yet had an abortion. So if you have an abortion, you're four times as likely to die within one year of that as the women that have it. Um, mo what's that? What? From suicide, from drug overdoses, from complications of that procedure, from a lot of problems, right? Uh, most women who have abortions struggle with post-abortion syndrome and lifelong depression, suicidal tendencies. In fact, that. In fact, guys, 60% of women that have abortions struggle with suicidal thoughts and ideas, right? 28% attempt suicide and 18% attempt it multiple times after having one abortion. Is that not unbelievable? So when we think about the health of the mother, abortion is not in the best interest of the health of the mother. And that's just from the psychological, emotional side of things. Now let's get to the physical too. What's the argument that people always say? Well, if we didn't have them legal, there'd be abortions in back alleys, right? You always hear this argument. Well, let's hit some of the physical risks that abortion poses. First of all, there are inherent medical risks with abortion, as there are with any medical procedure. You can die as a result of a botched abortion. You can die, or you can become sterile. There are tremendous medical risks to the mother right, in abortion. Beyond that, think about something like uh, cancer increases. Breast cancer alone strikes one in eight women. Right? Now, once a woman has had an abortion, the risk of breast cancer increases 50%. Right? Is that not insane? What's that? Why? Why? What, what physically causes that to happen? I'm not sure. Different hormonal issues. Want to get that? Yeah. Sure. Okay, so um, when a woman has an abortion, uh, when you get pregnant, your body naturally begins to do things that a woman's body should do, right? Okay, and this is what happens. When a woman becomes pregnant, her breasts enlarge. This is due to a hormone called estradiol, a type of estrogen. It causes both the normal and precancerous cells in the breast to multiply terrifically. This process is called proliferation. By seven to eight weeks gestation, the estradiol level has increased in her body by over 500% since the time of conception. If the pregnancy is carried to term, a second process called differentiation takes place. Differentiation is the shaping of the cells into milk-producing tissue. It, it shuts off this cell multiplication process. This takes place at approximately 32 weeks gestation. However, if the pregnancy is aborted, the woman is left with undifferentiated tissue. So in other words, cancer is an un uncontrollable cell growth, right? Well, her body is doing what it should be doing, 
And then if you suddenly shut off the pregnancy from continuing, she's left with all these, um, an increased hormonal level, which leads to an uncontrolled cell growth, thus resulting in cancer. And um, this is a type of estrogen, and estrogen, according to <laughs> According to our, our Breast Cancer Prevention Institute, they warn about estrogen. It is a secondary carcinogen. So there you have it. So you, you have and it's not just increases in breast cancer. It's not just increases in breast cancer, but ovarian cancer, cervical cancer, other types of cancer increase as well. If you just think about the numbers here really quickly, and I just ran through these in my head really quickly, if it increases from one in eight to to, to an additional one in sixteen women that get that get breast cancer as a result that wouldn't have got it otherwise. We're talking like 3 million extra women getting breast cancer. Now, even if 90% of those 3 million women survive, which is awesome that our medical advances have gotten to the point where you can save 90% of the lives that get breast cancer, you're still looking at 300,000 women, okay, dying as a result of that breast cancer, all right? So, now if you, if you divide that out over 30 or so years, you're looking at 10,000 plus women a year, right? 10,000 plus women a year dying as a result of this cancer. That was a result of this abortion. Okay, 10,000 women a year, right? That's pretty phenomenal, right? Isn't that pretty crazy? Uh, so that's just real quick math. Uh, you could get a firmer number than that. But thousands of women die as a direct result of their abortions because of secondary issues like cancer, things like that. Now, if you compare that to the 39 women that died the year prior to Roe v. Wade as a result of, of back alley abortions, you're talking hundreds and hundreds more dying every year as a result of legalized abortion. So if that really is our justification for allowing abortion, we should end it now to save more lives that otherwise would die. Is that Josh? You mentioned the fact that people have gotten not so super like loosey-goosey with the fact that Babies could be endangering the actual mother at birth, and like, 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 if she has this baby, she'll go into a depression or something. Use like, use an example like that or whatever. How, like, what is the probability? Like, are there a lot of cases where it literally is jeopardizing the mother's like? Because like, if it were like, if this act is passed and and, it, and and abortion is legal, would that mean that even in an extreme case of the mother's like, if there is a case, I don't know if this can even happen, but if the baby's going to cause the mother's death, and both of them would be dying, that makes sense. Would abortion still be illegal? Like, because if if you allow that, then people are going to start allowing other things. Like, what do you do with? with a situation like that. I don't know if that's, that was very clear. Yeah, no. I'm going to try and get through these notes because we only have 10 more minutes and I really want to give you guys a firm perspective on this. But there, there, there are differences between a, an endangered pregnancy, right, where there is a danger to the mother. Uh, Tim Tebow is an example that his mom, Pam, was told abort this baby, like kill this baby that's because you're endangered. That's what my doctors told my mom. Your doctors. Gosh, I'm sure glad Shelby that they didn't listen to those doctors. <laughs> I am sure glad you're here with us today. Uh, there are other cases where the, the, the developing um, fertilized egg, the person, would not be viable, like an ectopic prop pregnancy or something to that extent. And I'm not sure the full extent uh, that this would Im impact the certain mother, The mother's like life is always more important. And in the 
only case that I can think of where there actually is, unfortunately, a necessity is that topic pregnancy. What was this whole topic? Uh, That's when the baby doesn't get implanted correctly, but implants actually in the ovary. In the, near in, the ovary. Okay. The tube. So there's no possibility that that baby would ever continue to grow and live. And the mother would Zero. probably get very ill or die. So that, that wouldn't get thrown into the sack. No, right. right. And they're trying to say that it will. Yeah. But it's it's completely false because prior to the legalization of abortion with Roe versus Wade, that was never an issue. So we're pretty much just going to go back in time and everything. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now I want you guys to watch a video. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I think most of us know this Psalm of David in Psalm 139. Hi, my name is Stephanie Brown, and I would like to encourage you, if you are considering whether or not to become part of protecting the unborn and being involved in the pro-life movement, um, I'd like to share with you my testimony and the grace of God. Um, at a young age, um, at my teen years, I started um, becoming involved in drinking and drugs. I got in a bad relationship by the age of 15 and it was an abusive relationship and the drinking and drugs uh, from this older man um, were just part of this dark world that I experienced and by the time I turned 16 I became pregnant by this man and I had to make a decision and I stepped into Planned Parenthood stores and their words to me were um, well, you're pregnant. What are you going to do? Uh, abortion is an option, and um, we would encourage you to get one because you are so young. And so I did, and they knew how old my boyfriend was and didn't report that as statutory rape. Um, but I um, continued to stay in that relationship for several years after that. But at that point, I also made the decision to abort. So I went in um, and had the procedure done, and after that, my world fell apart. It became very dark, and this man introduced me to some harder drugs, and I became anorexic and suicidal almost, um, except I was too fearful to die. Uh, so I just kind of lived on the edge and um, went through a deep depression. After about five years of that, I uh, met someone who um, helped show me um, who God was. And at first I wasn't willing to believe. And so I uh, began searching. And I searched through the Bible. I searched through books, through TV. I, I said, God, if you're real, show me who you are. And um, I'm not going to believe in you unless you're real. And wow, he showed me who he was. He has showed up through answering prayer and um, ultimately through his word. I just knew if there was a God, it was the God of the Bible. Everything else uh, I knew was man-made, but uh, the God of the Bible 
had truth, it had history, it had everything that applied to who we are as created in God's image. And the only thing that I was afraid of was when I was going to hell and that um, a God couldn't forgive someone like me. So then I came to this place of fear, but I needed to go through that to understand why Jesus came, that he suffered and died for all, including me, who did the worst of sins as how I felt and, and um, I understood that that's why Jesus suffered. Um, his blood covered my sins. He paid for the price and the moment I understood that I got on my knees and I rejoiced and I knew in that moment that I was a new creation born again saved by the blood of Jesus and I rejoiced. I cried with happy tears for the first time in my life and I uh, shared Christ with my family and friends and I could not stop because I knew this was the truth and that everyone needs to know uh, the, the love of Jesus and the forgiveness that he offers. If we choose to remain silent, we have still spoken. We will be held accountable. In Deuteronomy 32:39, God says, I am the giver and taker of life. Since Roe v. Wade, nearly 75 million lives have been stolen. Those lives, God had a plan and purpose for them. I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, to get involved. Pray. Ask God where you can serve. Vote yes on Amendment 62, which validates the preborn as human beings. Sign the personhood amendment. This is not just a political issue. God has given us the responsibility to protect his children, to honor his image and whom we are all created in. Thank you and God bless. All right, so Q&A, some things you might hear. You guys might hear some different things coming up from friends that say, what about da 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 And I want to hit some of those questions before we leave so that you're prepared. Number one is that everyone thinks it's okay. Isn't this, doesn't everybody agree that abortion's okay, right? Wouldn't you guys think that generally? You guys, Gallup found last year that over 50% of Americans now believe abortion's wrong and that it should be illegal. 51% of Americans, for the first time since Roe v. Wade, uh, now believe, a majority of Americans now believe abortion is wrong. Uh, the, re the reason is in 1973 they didn't have ultrasounds. You couldn't see a six-week-old doing a little dance. Okay? You couldn't see its heartbeat. Right? Now we can see those things. Back in 1973 they didn't have the knowledge about embryonic development, about cellular development, about DNA, the same way that we do today. A lot of that is advanced. Most probably and, that extra like 49% yeah. Most of them don't even have access to something like that. Like exactly. Now, here's the deal, guys. Once a woman sees her baby on an ultrasound, a woman that had been considering an abortion, what is it, 98%? Approximately 90%. Approximately 90? Is it 90? That's, that's okay. the lowest I've ever read. So, approximately 90%, that's the lowest figure. So, 90 or higher, don't go through with the abortion once they see an ultrasound. Because they see with their own eyes that this is not just a blob of tissue, right? This is an actual living human being. Now, you guys, uh, what about the right to privacy? Dan, you did a fabulous job talking about that. The government all the time tells you things you can and cannot do in the privacy of your own home. You better wear a seatbelt. You can't smoke cocaine. Okay. They tell you certain things that you can and cannot do. Uh, privacy does not... What if I said, my right to privacy means I should be able to kill Jake? Because privately, I hate Jake. Okay? That's not a privacy issue. Right? It's a murder issue. And the law is pretty okay with saying you can't do that, Nate. 
right? So if they want to say, I have a right to privacy about what books I read, absolutely. About killing another human being, not so much. It's not privacy, right? Women's rights. Guys, many women are against abortion, right? There are even feminist groups that are against abortion. Is Susan B. Anthony list in that Susan feminist group? List. Susan B. Anthony herself was pro-life. Yeah. She felt that abortion hurt women. And also, let's get this very clear, it could be a baby girl. Are yeah. you promoting the right to murder one of your own? Exactly. Who grow up to be a beautiful feminist leader? So what about the, the baby women that are killed in abortion? Right? Don't they have women's rights too? All right, guys. Interestingly, uh, what about the people that say, I'm personally against it, but I think it should be right for other people if they choose to make that decision? Have you ever heard that? Okay, this is illogical to the max. Rabbi Zacharias put it this way. Just listen to this. Next time you hear that, you have got to say this. So listen to this carefully. I'm personally against it, but it should be right for other people. Rabbi Zacharias said, if it is a living human being, okay, then why is it okay for other people to kill it? If it's not a living human being, why are you personally against it? And if you don't know whether it's a living human being or not, why are you going to make a life and death decision based on not knowing? Isn't that good? Right? Okay, it just hits it out of the park. That argument does not stand. Uh, what about rape and incest? Less than 1% of the cases are rape and incest. And abortion is not going to solve the problem. Instead of having to deal with the emotional issue of having been raped, the woman now has to deal with the emotional consequences of having ended a life. Makes There's that worse. much more to be depressed. If worse comes to worse, you can give the baby up for adoption. Exactly. Or, there's there's catharsis in that. This baby that resulted from this rape is alive and, and growing and beautiful. See, there's been some redemption that came out of that. You guys, there's, that baby did not commit a crime. Another person committed a crime. That baby is innocent, right? I mean, if Josh smacks me in the eye, I can't turn around and chop Jack's hand off to make me feel better. <laughs> Right? Does that make sense? Abortion in the case of rape and incest does not help the mother at all. If anything, it hurts the mother. And we should not do that. Right? Uh, that, being, that being said, a lot of times they say adoption is mean. There's a student that was actually interested in having an abortion. Actually, his uh, girlfriend was. And I told him, we will adopt that baby. Tell your girlfriend, my wife and I, you've been in our house. You've seen that, that we love our kids. You've seen that we love the college students. We'll adopt your baby. I'll give, I'll give that baby that was a result of you and your girlfriend doing that thing on Christmas break. I'll give that baby a home and love and care and food and protection. And I will gladly go into retirement with less money to give that baby away. And you know what he said? My girlfriend thinks adoption is me. That she could never live with herself if she gave her baby up like that. Thinking, but you can live with yourself if you kill that baby? Right? This does not make sense, guys. Okay, what about oppression by men? A lot of times people say, well, well, not allowing women to have an abortion would just be oppressing them, like men oppressing women. <laughs> On the contrary, abortion is a big out. It allows men to get a girl pregnant and then not take responsibility and bolt, right, and not show up and be responsible. So this has nothing to do with oppression by men as far as anything but abortion is oppression by men in most cases. Uh, Columbus, Ohio, October 7th, a woman was held hostage at gunpoint and forced by her boyfriend to have the abortion. The woman secretly slipped a note to the clinic worker who then called the police. She intended to keep the pregnancy. Where, the, where, where were the feminists on that one? And also this is um, uh, a man who was taking his daughter to get an abortion in Albuquerque, New Mexico, August 28th. 
Uh, he became angry when she began to speak to the pro-life sidewalk counselors nearby who were offering her help. Afraid she might change her mind, he threatened the sidewalk counselors by saying, I'm going to put a bullet in your head if you talk to her, and lifted up his shirt to show a gun tucked in his pants. Where is the choice in there? Men oppressing women by forcing them to have abortions so they don't have to be responsible. Okay, what about unwanted children? You will hear them say, it's wrong to bring unwanted children into this world. Gregory Kobel articulately, articulately answered that by saying, this isn't an issue about bringing an unwanted baby into the world. The baby's here. Okay? This is a different issue. He said, is it okay to take an unwanted baby out of the world? The baby's already here. right? So unwanted or not, they're here. And just like I might or might not like my neighbor, I can't kill my neighbor. Okay? based on my preference. What about population control? A lot of people say this is needed for population control, including our abortionist doctor here in Durango. You guys, every person on this planet, given 1,000 square feet each, which isn't the worst thing in the world, uh, Aaron, my wife, and our two daughters, and myself, share a home that is much less than, 1, square, or much less than 2,000 square feet. We each get about 400 square feet in our home, so, uh, and we can deal just fine with it. But each person, given 1,000 square feet in the entire planet, could fit into the state of Texas. Already on this planet, there's enough food produced every single day to sustain twice this Earth's population. It's just not distributed correctly, and there are political reasons that it doesn't get where it needs to go and all that. But the idea that we don't have enough resources, we don't have enough land, it's all false. Okay, it's all false, guys. Uh, continuing, guys, on the personhood amendment. Guys, there are lots of misconceptions. Dan hit those. The reality is this is a landmark opportunity to define life for what it is, to take a stand, as God has called us to take, for people that have not been protected or shown love for 37 years in our country. And we can do it. And I want to encourage you guys. You guys are college students. The biggest revolutions in history are always started by college students. The biggest movements are started by college students. The biggest trends are started by college students. Even in the Christian world, guys, the biggest missionary movements, the biggest... It, the biggest explosions, guys, of revival are always started by college students. God has made you guys awesome for a purpose. And I want to encourage you as college students, stand up and be a part of the revival for unborn babies. You guys can change this. You guys can make a difference. And here's how you can make a difference as college students. Number one, you can speak out. If you have friends, you have Facebook accounts where you can put a social, uh, or you can put a status up, right? Okay? I put the Amendment 62 logo on my Facebook page just because I want to be supporting it. You guys can make, you can speak out that way. You can speak out to your friends. You can speak out in your classes. You can speak out in your dorms and workplaces. You could write letters to the editor. There is a whole lot you could do. There are many ways that you could speak out on this issue. You could share Christ's hope. You guys, we have to share Christ's hope. Women need to know we are not against them. Even if they've had 10 abortions, we are not against them. Right? I, I have sinned in different ways. That in God's eyes are just as evil and just as much sin. And I need to offer them the hope that I have in Jesus. Because nobody else is doing it. Everybody else is just saying, whatever, don't have those feelings. You didn't do anything wrong. They know differently. I need to give real hope. So, share hope. Speak out. Adopt. I want to encourage all of you. You're not even married yet. Well, Dan is back there. When you get to this age, I hope that you consider adoption. Even if you can have biological kids of your own. Aaron and I have biological kids. We intend to have more. And when we're done with biological kids, by God's grace, we hope to adopt also. Okay? Because these kids need homes. They need homes. And they need families. And finances are not an issue. Don't make your decision about how many kids you're going to have based on whether or not you'll be able to afford it. Right? Make your decision like you'd make every other decision. Go to God and ask him, God, how many kids do you want me to have? Two? So that I can have a nicer house? 
to God and ask him. Right? God will provide, too. My pastor, he's living on a pastor's income. He's adopted seven kids on top of the three biological kids he already had. He has ten kids to feed while well, you're out of the house now. But by God's grace, it happens. They're never done without. Okay, guys? And finally, I'm going to encourage you publicly as somebody in ministry, and I want to do this in such a way that, uh, that I can be an example of somebody in ministry. I want to encourage you to vote yes on 62. Right? I want to encourage you to vote yes on 62. And encourage all those around you to do it too. Okay, guys, as Christians, I'll just end it on this. I know we're late. Thank you for being patient. But uh, this is not just political, right? Christians right now are believing a lot of lies that Christians should not be political. And they're believing that for some right reasons. Probably some Christians got too political and tried to make it all about politics. And it's not. So we don't just go either or, we go both and. We don't just toss out all political everything because some Christians got too political. Does that make sense? I want to encourage you, and there are a lot of great notes on this for a different time. Guys, Bible study, we're going to talk about a few of these. As a Christian, you are called throughout Scripture to be a good steward of everything that God gives you. And in this country, he's given you a right to vote and a freedom to be a part of a democracy. And when I don't exercise that freedom, I'm being a bad steward of a gift that God gave me. Right? And golly, I'm going to give an account to God for how I steward what he gave me on this planet. We're told that in Scripture. So I'd encourage you not to think, oh, Christians shouldn't be political. Instead, think, Christians shouldn't make politics bigger than Jesus. They shouldn't make politics bigger than loving people. They shouldn't make politics bigger than friendships. But they should also not make politics nothing. As Christians, we should take a stand for what we believe and what Scripture says is right. And we should do that in love. So vote yes on 62, guys, and encourage your friends to also. Thanks for coming. Uh, let's pray. Golly, can somebody just pray for this issue? Shelby, as somebody who is... Alive, even after doctor said you shouldn't be. Uh, could you just close this out? And uh, I just thank God you're here. I really do. But uh, yeah, go ahead and close this out. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that we can come together in a safe environment and talk about this major issue, this major issue that's happening in our country. Um, I just want to pray that um, we can have the strength to influence those around us um, to see exactly what is going on here, God. Um, I know personally I didn't really understand the whole issue until somebody talked to me about it and we seem to we need to teach others. We need to teach others, God. Um, thank you. Thank you that we can have an influence on this in, in our lifetime and um, hopefully as a generation we can we can change things, God. We can change things with your strength and your power behind us. Um, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.